welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Right. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Father John. Jacob Machado. Jacob, uh, we're hearing good things about you as an addition to the podcast. Uh oh. You know, uh, That's good. The, the most important fans, I think, are our mothers. Uh, I, I don't know if uh, Nancy Rapp and uh, Father Sean's mom listen, but uh, I know ours do, and you know, we yep. got to make sure we. Uh, well, uh, my mom did email us the correction. Right. She didn't send any questions. She just sent a list of about thirty-five names for the uh, fall kickoff. Right. Podcast. Exactly. So. Which we appreciate, Mary Machado. <laughs> Thanks. The, the two Marys, right? So. They, uh, but yeah, mom was saying, uh, you know, just really like the new guys. They're doing a good job. And uh, <laughs> Jake, the, the moms were saying. <laughs> Jacob's very deep, you know, he's very deep and he's got a great voice. I was like, okay, good. I'll be sure to pass this on to him. So, yeah, well, now I got to go scrub a toilet for humility or something. Exactly. Yeah. Enough mother, of that. Mother com- trees away. Enough of that complimenting stuff. So, yeah, we're uh, moving into the uh, almost a fall break here in the seminary. We're about uh, five, just finished week five of the semester. And, uh, so yeah, we're rolling. Yeah, I just had my uh, second formation meeting with Father Daniel, and okay. he's like, "Has it been three weeks already?" Yeah, just like sprinted by. Yeah, it's, now it's going to start flying by. Next thing you know, we're going to be at your diaconate ordination in February, which is crazy. Yep. yep. Before that, we've got the uh, our pilgrimage. Yep. So there's there's plenty of stuff between now and then. Yeah. So we we probably mentioned that, but we're uh, all the companions, all the boys for our fifteenth anniversary are going to upstate New York and doing a. Uh, hiking pilgrimage to the Shrine of the North American Martyrs. So we started at Lake George, where I think they kind of landed, and then followed their path through the Adirondacks down to uh, Orisville, uh, the site of their martyrdom. And uh, we'll do Mass there, and then I think there's a shrine to Kateri Tekawitha not far from there. We'll go over there, and then over to the Finger Lakes for a little hangout over the weekend, see my brother yep. and his crew. I don't think I've seen your brother since he moved out to New York. Yeah. So that'll be good. I'm working with them on a, a palliative care initiative. It's kind of a video series for people helping um, docs and families and people who are dying. And I'm kind of the spiritual side of it. But we had a 30-minute Zoom call. And I told him, I was like, dude, I have 30 minutes. And he's like, oh, no problem, Johnny. And, and he just talked and talked and talked. And I was like, bro, you have 30 seconds. You got to get And he's like, oh, no, no, no. And I was just like, oh, man. 10 seconds. Nine, I should have known. Done. Yeah. Get the nipples. Once you put a quarter in them, it's like it's hard to get them to shut up. But um yeah. He's good, so I'll see him. Well, know, we, need to, uh, we need to stop meeting like this on Friday after a full week of classes, right. teaching, vice-rector work, formation, and then we're heading out. I'm heading up to the mountains, uh, back to Patrice Cordy yeah. to do some work and hang out with family. And uh, you're going on a bike ride right after this with some of the seminarians. I got. I'm trying to start a cycling club here at the seminary and uh, encouraging them. That it's all. It's, I guess it's very intimidating because some of them bought bikes. They're like, we don't want to bike with you. And I was like, come on, it'll be fun. You know, we're just going for a little stroll. No problem here. So yeah. <laughs> what they've heard is when you're biking with Father John, you're 20 miles in. He's like, oh yeah, we'll just go like five more. And then 45 miles in, you're right. like, oh, we're just going to push another maybe five, five miles. It's we're almost there. That is true. And I then have... that's when you turn around at 50. Right. You figured this out years ago. <laughs> Um, yeah, all right, we'll jump right into it. I want to tell you a story, though, before we get into the content, and hopefully it'll kind of, we can tie back into the story. It's just a funny, funny thing about daily life here in the, uh, in the wild world of uh, diocesan priesthood. So yesterday, every Thursday, I say Mass for the Missionaries of Charity. They live at St. Joseph's, where I live, and I bring over a seminarian, so I had Cade McGaffin from Salina with me. 
And per usual, you know, you're vesting, turn your phone off. I set it in the sacristy, mm-hmm. vest, go into the mass. Now, the way the chapel is set up, I'm not looking at the door. But at a certain point in the mass, Sister Jacinta, one of the MCs, this little uh, Vietnamese woman, you know, they're all about four feet tall. Yep. It's um, a charism. Yeah, I think you have to be. I think if you're over five <laughs> feet, you're just automatically like, not there's invited. There's some other orders right? for you. Join the Sisters <laughs> of Life or something. Um, she leaves and she's gone for a while. And I'm like, that's weird. But I just continue with mass and giving the homily, whatever. And then we get out and she comes out and talks to us. And she said, oh, yeah, this homeless guy got into the convent while we were in mass. And he was just kind of rummaging around looking for food. So I gave him some food and sent him on his way. And then I said, where's my phone? Gone. <laughs> Did you hear the story already? Well, I got I saw the text from your guys. You, yeah. you sent an email out saying, uh, or group me saying, sorry, guys, if I'm uh, out of touch, my phone was stolen. So it's 730 in the morning. Phone's gone. And I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. But I got this strapping 6'2 cans in with me. I'm like, if we find this guy, we can we can beat it out of him, you know. Uh, <laughs> So, but we also had to get to class. So we, we drive through the neighborhood one time, uh, abandon, uh, abandon the, the project of finding the phone, take consolation in Santiago's breakfast burritos and head into class. I have a meeting at eight o'clock with some different people, walk into the office around nine and Darcy at the front desk goes, Hey, check this out. And I was like, what <laughs> is that? It, my it phone? You in. How did you find that phone? And she said, the missionaries of charity jumped in the van and started working through the Baker neighborhood, and they found him in the corner of Fifth and Delaware, and they all jumped out, and they said, hey, give us that phone back. And he said, I don't have a phone. No, there's no phone. And they said, we know you have the phone. Give us the phone back. I don't know the phone. He's denying it. And she said, are you Catholic? And he said, yeah. And he goes, she, and Sister Jacinta goes, you just stole the phone of a Catholic priest. And he goes, what? And he takes it out <laughs> and, and gives it back to her. And then uh, she's like, She's like, you better feel really bad about it. And just the, the MCs are just so awesome. Like, they're just not afraid of anything. And so he's like, my name is George. Please tell Father to pray for me. Uh, and she's like, we're going to pray for you, George. And uh, they gave him some food. And she said, we'll give you money if you need it. We'll buy the phone back. But he didn't take any money. And so um, the cops were not involved. See, that's he was fed. I, I'm glad they found him and not you and Cade. Yeah. You know, yeah. they probably handled that way better. Well, I think, it would, yeah. <laughs> but they're so intense. They're so and intense. they're so on top of it. And, but like, you can't say no to them. Yeah. And, but it's, it's so beautiful. the MCs got my phone back. <laughs> so it was amazing. Um, I will come back to that story in a little bit here. But uh, the topic that I want to present today is a sermon from uh, John Henry Newman that has just been rocking my world. Um, so John Henry Newman, 19th century uh, Catholic convert, uh, was made a cardinal by Leo XIII at the end of his life, probably one of the most powerful and incredible thinkers of the 19th century, um, really a father of the Second Vatican Council, so a lot of the reforms that came um, the, in the century afterwards. But there's a collection of sermons called, called his Plain and Parochial Sermons, which were given in the uh, late 1830s, early 1840s, before he converts in 1845 when he is one of the chaplains at Oxford. He's a Trinity College man, um, and he's just, he's the up-and-coming kind of rock star. He'd be like the Bishop Baron of the 1840s in Oxford. English, Anglican, Oxford world. Exactly, but he's a part of this thing called the Oxford Movement, which is moving towards Mm -hmm. the Catholic thing. Yeah, they even had the, uh, they call it the Catholic, you know, Anglican, Anglo-Catholic or Anglican Catholic. Exactly. Was part of this this movement in Oxford specifically. Right, so he's very sympathetic to Rome, and then he has this conversion. He spends his whole life kind of, uh, founds an oratory, founds a university, um, just an amazing man. But 
The sermon, uh, The Cross of Christ, The Measure of the World, Sermon 7 from the sixth Sunday in Lent that he gave. Um, you can find all this online, by the way. Uh, Newmanreader.org has all of his works online. So if this, if you listen to this and you're like, that sounds interesting, it's worth praying with. But I have just been blown away by it. And I just want to pull a couple of his gems out of here and um, and just tie them into uh, kind of life right now. The occasion of reading this sermon was the, the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. And it was uh, Father uh, Gary Sellen reminded me of this sermon. I hadn't read it in years uh, and again, it's just, I hope it bears fruit for you in the same way it does for me. So here's how Newman starts the sermon. A great number of men live and die without reflecting at all upon the state of things in which they find themselves. They take things as they come and follow their inclinations as far as they have the opportunity. They are guided mainly by pleasure and pain, not by reason, principle, or conscience. And they do not attempt to interpret this world to determine what it, what it means or to reduce what they see and feel to system. But when persons, either through thoughtfulness of mind or from intellectual activity, begin to contemplate the visible state of things in which they find themselves, then forthright they find it a maze and a perplexity. It is a riddle that they cannot solve. It seems full of contradiction and without a rift. They now are in search of a key. So Newman starts his sermon with this just really stunning line. Um, the majority of the people are walking around. They live and they die without reflecting on the state of things. They don't, they, they don't seek to interpret the world. So that's the first word is um, we talk a lot about the Christian worldview and the need to form Catholics in a deeper way than just doing Catholic things, a.k.a. I go to Mass, I get the sacraments. But it has no bearing on yeah. my life. And even more, uh, also just not the having the Catholic answer. Right. It's yeah. a, a mind, putting right. on the mind of Christ. Putting on the mind of Christ. So we form kids like this. We, we put them in catechism classes or we send them to Catholic school. We fill their, their, um, their days with content. We give them a lot of Catholic information. There's no bearing on life. And then at 18, they kind of divest themselves of their Catholic thing and become nonce, N-O-N-E, right? This is, seems to be the, the main phenomenon of what's happening, and we need to change that. And Newman's point is to say we need to help them to, not, to stop um, living without reflecting on life. And his idea here is we need to spiritually interpret the world that we're living in. And so faith needs to move from being um, things that we do to a kind of, as you said, taking on the mind of Christ, a spiritual vision by which we interpret things. And I think about that story with the sisters yesterday because the MCs are so deeply in prayer um, that they are constantly thinking about spiritual things. So they immediately somehow got the phone back from George, uh, the homeless guy, but they're thinking about his soul, and they're, and they're thinking about the, the spiritual life. So they're, they're trying to talk to him about, like, like if it was me, I would have just grabbed the phone and gotten out of there and not thought about mm -hmm. this at all. But they're, they're interpreting all of the circumstances of their life in, with a key. There's a key to it. And that's the beauty and the brilliance of consecrated people, but especially of, of just holy people like the missionaries of charity, is that they are looking for an interpretation uh, of the meaningfulness of things, everything, not just when I need things, so I pray when I need things and I call on God, but to be fascinated and attracted to the meaningfulness of everything, even the funny phenomenon of getting your phone, of the priest's phone getting stolen out of their convent. Yeah, it seems there's... Um 
the connection too of just being present to who is in front, what has happened, and what does this mean? It's not just a in, inconvenience to get past, but like there's something to engage, a person to engage, which I love that they engaged and was just like, give us the phone back, and then yeah. hop back in their van and, <laughs> and drive back. But yesterday, um, one of the uh, – Brett and uh, Riley had met um, a young woman at their apostolate and invited her for kind of a tour and to join for mass and stuff. And uh, so Brett asked me if I could help give the tour, and we go and we meet her at uh, the front desk. And I get up there, and she's engaging – in just like with a with a Christian love, the um, DoorDash delivery driver, who's Muslim from Pakistan, who's all of a sudden I'm listening to this conversation and he's like sharing with her his fear for his parents who are still uh, in the Middle East. He's here with his brother, his sister, and his nephew, and this woman who I'm thinking like I've got an hour free, I want to give you a tour and then get back to my life, and she shows up off this invitation, and now there's a, a man in front of her who she can be Christ to and ask about praying for, to the point where even uh, he was, like, expressing, like, worry about his sister, and she's like, well, I could go meet with her. And so she's, like, setting up a meeting with his sister, like, seeing the person in front of him and not just, I've got something on my schedule, the next thing to do, I've always got to go, go, go. She came for something, and Christ put something else in front of her, and I walked away from that just, like, amazed by Marie's faithfulness, you know? Yeah. No, and that's it. And, and these are people who are, like, people who do it well are, they're just actually interested in the meaningfulness of things and people. Mm-hmm. They're not, they don't have kind of, you know, locked into the chamber, you know, the all the Catholic apologetics, and they're not imposing, and there's not this kind of sense of um, obligation or kind of coercion of, like, I have to tell them the truth. It just happens very naturally out of their soul. I don't yeah. think the sisters were like, we need to go evangelize that guy who <laughs> stole the phone. They just naturally talk about his soul, and they realize that maybe he's kind of open to this. He just got caught red-handed, and uh, and he's exposed, but there's an opportunity there. And I, So I think that, yeah, in my youth, um, I was big on, like, pushing the Catholic agenda a lot, and it didn't work. It didn't work. Yeah. Like a lot, and uh, it really it it did more damage, I think. And then I kind of moved into a phase of kind of uh, where I just was like that didn't work, and then didn't really do it. And so I think the 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 mature kind of place to be in, uh, which I'm not at, but hope to be at, is where there's just kind of a naturalness where it just kind of happens, mm-hmm. where you're where you're just thinking about Christ a lot because you understand Christ to be the key to interpreting reality. And that's where Newman goes with this, as he says, okay, so once you open your heart to start interpreting reality and thinking about things, and usually suffering is the main thing that wakes us up to this, like, I can't live on the surface of things. Because remember what he says is, most people, they're guided mainly by pleasure or pain, not by reason or principle. They just, I just want the most comfortable life possible, and I don't really want to think about things. And then tragedy happens. Then people die. Then cancer is, is diagnosed, or whatever it might be. And all of a sudden you find yourself kind of shockingly waking up to the fact that I have to do this human thing that I've stopped doing, that I've been distracting myself away from, that I don't frankly want to do, and that is I need to start interpreting how what life means instead of just living life as it comes. Mm-hmm. And that is a very different way of thinking. 
And I think one of the reasons Newman says that people don't want to do it is because when you start thinking and contemplating about the visible state of things, you realize that they're really complicated. Life doesn't make sense. It's kind of tragic. It's a maze and a perplexity, as he says. It's a riddle that I can't solve. And that's where we start to look for the key. How do I open the door into a deeper kind of way of living, one that can encompass every circumstance, not just some, but everything? And the key here is Christ crucified. Now, Christ being not just a good model of Christian living from the first century, which is what we've oftentimes reduced him to for our kids, but the second person of the Trinity, which we call the incarnate Logos. The Logos is what John designates Jesus as being in the beginning of his gospel. Logos means word or reason or meaning. So Jesus is himself the meaningfulness, but that meaning is also historical. It's a person. So this is what makes Christianity so fascinating and I think so attractive is that uh, meaningfulness is found in a person. And he also becomes the key to understanding the meaningfulness of all reality, everything that happens. Another example of this, this is just daily life as a priest, and it's such a joy, but a good friend of our family's um, had a tragic death uh, in her family. And um, my, my mom got me in touch with them, and I just, you know, sent him a quick message um, and just said, you know, here's a couple of things to think about as you navigate the the grief and the pain of this. And they were like totally in tears. They passed it on to their the rest of their family. It it had this impact that didn't make sense because frankly it wasn't that profound. <laughs> but they needed somebody to just acknowledge and help say, we need a key. We need an answer. We need something here. And the answer is of course the cross. And we're all trying to explain that. But specifically the cross uh with this person on it who is himself meaningfulness. So Jesus makes suffering meaningful by himself suffering, the, what we call the atoning sacrifice for the entire world, that he takes on our suffering, that he pays the debt, and he, he resolves the contradiction in himself. And so the only place we can find that and take solace from the maze and the perplexity and the riddle which is human existence is in him. And that's what the Christian life is. It's about it being inserted into Christ and allowing him to then change the way that we view everything. And it gives us the courage to move beyond just living for pleasure and pain, but actually spiritually interpreting things. Not yeah. sure if you even thought. I just yeah, want to stop no. talking. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to ingest it all. There's so much there. I'm resisting about seven different tangents, but uh, I have been thinking and praying a lot about receptivity. Um, I was talking with Jonathan Francois about what it means to actually be receptive. Um, I was talking to my little brother about this too, and, and it's kind of the question of if we're just receptive, does that mean we're passive? Are we just letting life pass us by? Are we just waiting? Uh, and receptivity is it can't be that. It can't be just a kind of a dead fish on the top of the water. Receptivity is an active position, an active readiness. And so Mary, who is the most receptive of any, was contemplating, even before contemplating all these things in her heart with Christ, she would have been contemplating Christ, or not Christ, but contemplating God. Um, And so she's ready to receive the word through Gabriel when the angel appears. And she receives, and she's still in dialogue with Gabriel. So it's not just this like passive, okay, yep, now it's time, but it's this dialogue with the word that has come to her. So the reception is kind of even in a dialogue there with Mary. So I love the active position of Mary in that. Um, but with 
receiving the world, I'm thinking Christ is um, through who all was created, right? In the beginning, he was the Word. He was, the Word was with God. For him, through him, in him, all things are created. And so when we actually receive, we're in a posture of reception, which isn't passivity, but, but a dialogue with the world. We're in a dialogue with Christ. We're in a dialogue of receiving the word logos um, in an active way, to have that question. Mary says, how could this be? I have no relations with a man. She's like, okay, I, I believe I've received something, but like, help me understand it, right? And then the you know, angel says, you know, through the Holy Spirit, you shall uh, conceive of Jesus. You shall name him Jesus. Um, and so there's this dialogue of understanding, this back and forth. And I think that's, the, that's really the sacramentality of the world that we talk about, that there is something God speaks through uh, into us if we receive. And I think that's the stark opposition of the first line that Newman is saying. Most people just kind of pass through the day, not, not receiving because they're not dialoguing one pleasure or one pain to the next, but never saying why, what is this, who is this? Well, going back to the Mary thing, which I could talk about all day, you, you could teach my Mariology course uh, while I'm going. I'm going to West Point next week to <laughs> be with my dad. Maybe I should have you teach my course because receptivity is the name of the game. Uh, that's the word, ascent, A-S-S-E-N-T. That's another word for it. That's what Mary's fiat is. And so Mary, for us as Catholics, is the archetypal Christian, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. This is the blueprint. This is what we all need to look like, though in completely different circumstances, us in a different sex. We're men, not women. But Mary's feminine receptivity is the posture of all creation in relationship to God. And in light of this, it's like Mary is the one who preeminently spiritually interprets reality because she receives totally. So the grace of her Immaculate Conception allows her to be free of sin. One of the things sin does is it turns us it turns us inward and we start within and then we try and figure out meaning from within. This is Descartes' whole thing is that everything shifts in modernity where all of a sudden, um, cogito ergo sum, I think therefore I am. I derive meaningfulness from being is, is derived from thought and then all meaning comes out of my thought. So I need to make things meaningful um, and I need to, but the problem is of course this doesn't work because Things are not meaningful because I say they're meaningful. Things are meaningful in themselves. And, and to the extent that I can kind of conform myself to reality uh, in a Christian lens with, with Christ, I can learn how to do that. And, and Mary is the one who's just always learning from Christ what things mean. But that means a kind of poverty and a kind of hiddenness and a kind of, kind of willingness to go to places that you don't understand. Um, to experience non-comprehension. That's kind of the hallmark of Mary at the foot of the cross. So I love that. That's not tangential. I think (laughs) receptivity is the key. The question is, why do we keep going back to a superficial way of living? That's that's really the the question Newman's dealing with. Why do we just want to live from pleasure uh, and comfort and be dominated by that? I did a uh, night with my guys on the book, The Comfort Crisis. Have you heard about this book? I have. It's uh, All the Rage. Haven't read it yet. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nothing <laughs> nothing super profound, uh, but it's a great, very yeah. quick read. Um, and the basic thing is just like we've become so uh, adapted to comfort and we've made it kind of the, the purpose of life is to live comfortably mm-hmm. and we've lost our humanity. And this is a very secular guy who's writing the uh, writing the work and it's like it's pretty helpful and it's speaking to people, mm-hmm. you know. 
Yeah, because we're, we're almost incapable of perseverance at this point. Uh, I mean, we, you talk to anybody and we want a lot. I want to learn another language. I want to uh, get a better job. I want to. And there's legitimate um, restraints that we experience. Um, but a lot of us want things, but not enough to actually really persevere to start or to possess them. Yeah. I want to be able to play piano, but I don't sit down and practice. <laughs> um, and so the desire, I think, I was talking to the guys in my house, the desire we have is a, a happiness, an abiding happiness of, of really rest, you know. And Christ came and said, all you who are uh, heavy burdened, take the yoke, my yoke upon you. It is easy. It is light. I will give you rest, right? And so what Christ is coming to promise is this rest, but there's a, there is a yoke and there's a journey and we persevere through Calvary and the cross, but we can do that because we're resting with divine eternity, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so I think part of our, our restlessness uh, and our superficiality is if I'm not pursuing hard things with Christ, the burden is not an easy yoke. It's crushing. And so I don't want to persevere it. And you know what is easy? Passing pleasure. Yeah. It makes so much sense. It's like, of course, I can at least rest in this for a moment. It's not, it's not eternal. It's not going to last. It's not what I really want. But I experience rest in this pleasure now. And then I'll go to the next one. And I kind of just have like this, I'll get a hit of yeah. rest. As opposed to resting in the hard things with the Lord, they become bearable and actually become restful because we're, we're always praying uh, with Christ, uh, in him, through him. Yeah, I mean, I think that the saints are the model of the great theologians. They are the great theologians of the church, and they're also the models of how to spiritually interpret reality from a Christian perspective, from a Christian worldview. Uh, today we celebrate the Feast of Padre Pio. His life was tough. I mean, he received the stigmata young. He carried it for many years. He was completely mistreated. He was accused of all kinds of things uh, within the church and without. Um, and he shows us, though, that the the cross, everybody looks to the cross and says, this needs to be avoided at all costs. Um, but the cross becomes light in Christ. Why? Because I don't have the immense weight and pressure of defining meaningfulness for myself. And so long as we attempt to that, I think that life is extremely burdensome to do that, to wake up every morning to be like, yeah, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do me, I'm gonna do what I wanna do, but also I'm the sole <laughs> arbiter of what is meaningful yeah. for my life. What are my values today and how I'm gonna follow that? Exactly, and, and then all of a sudden uh, that plays out into kind of like, um, you know, I will determine what I am. And it's mm -hmm. this whole ethos of self-creation that we're constantly going into. This is the dominant worldview right now. It's not Christian, it's self-creation. I self-interpret my reality. I'm the center of it. Because the heaviest weight we can any of us bear is to pretend to be God. Yeah. And that's what we're all doing. And so uh, here's another line from Newman, just talking about the world and how it entices us to think this way. It entices us to think it's really all about you, and it's all about your enjoyment and your pleasure and your comfort. So just live the good life and don't worry about other things. Just keep it light. Keep it superficial. The world seems made for the enjoyment of just such a being as man. And man is put into it. He has the capacity for enjoyment, and the world supplies the means. This is how we think. Mm -hmm. The world at first sight appears made for pleasure, 
and the vision of Christ's cross is the solemn and sorrowful sight interfering with that appearance. You Catholics can all go be sad. We're going to go to the mountains, bring our craft beer, hike some 14ers this weekend, and just enjoy life. And it's like, mm-hmm. those are all good things. Those should all be enjoyed. Love all, love all those things. But that the endless pursuit of enjoyment cannot be the, the hallmark of my life. It will make me miserable. And this is why I've said this before. The most miserable people I think I've met live in the most beautiful places. They're the lifties in in the the great ski resorts of our backcountry and places, and it's just it doesn't just work. Uh, in fact, it makes you heavier and more frustrated, and then ultimately really resentful of life. Yeah, I was just thinking this week. Um, I can't remember which class we were talking about it in, but we had a uh, the the true definition of man is man is in relation, right? Anthropologically. Um, we are all born of another. We are all sons or daughters first, right? We're in relation to humanity from the beginning. We're not our own isolated being who creates meaning, creates history, creates future. We are part of a story. We're part of an um, ongoing tradition. The fact that you received your body from your parents, um, you're not isolated. But the world tells you, and I, I was thinking about this in context of advertising, a world I used to be part of. The world tells you, you are the most important thing, you are individual, and you need to express to the world your, individual, your individuality, your personality, through what you possess and how you present. And so like advertising really keeps people um, locked in this isolation. Without communion, that isolation is going to perpetuate a hunger for that rest, uh, for that meaning that we all want, but we're be- believing that we're this radical individual. And as long as we can be kept in that place, we will consume anything that promises to fill that at all. Uh, and in the end, you just keep consuming, keep consuming, keep consuming. And I think it's Augustine talks about if you consume everything, if you had enough time to consume all pleasures, all experiences of this life, the law of desire, you would still not have experienced or possessed he who created all those things. So if you had an infinite span of years to do everything possible that a human could do, you would still be dissatisfied because the creator is who you long for. Um, And that's a relation, not an individuality. Yeah. There's a lot in that. Here's a line from Newman. The world is sweet to the lips, but bitter to the taste. It pleases at first, but not at last. It looks gay on the outside, but evil and misery lie concealed within. Everything that we taste, every pleasure, every good thing, um, speaks of an infinite good that is beyond this world. Uh, Our hearts are made for the eternal. They're made for the infinite. They're made for something that transcends the world. That's not in creation. There's no mountain or craft beer or woman or whatever that's like, if I can just have that, then I will be satisfied. And as you're saying, the advertising and the consumerism plays on that whole lie, the myth of we can fulfill you with this thing. Mm -hmm. Just buy this Peloton or buy this whatever (laughs) it is that we're thinking. I'm thinking about Pelotons today, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, And we, we, the whole consumerist mentality is, is really fueled on that fundamental myth. And we have, to, we have to dispel our hearts of that if we want to wake up to the reality of the cross and Christ. So question. Our response is, the world's terrible. We hate it. Go seek suffering. Go bear the cross. Uh, whip yourself. Is that what we do? Exactly. Is that yeah. what we do? 
Yeah, no. supposed to go be Pelagian. Yeah, no, that is that is the the temptation, yeah. and that's what it looks like. That's what people think of it as. So, and then we don't have a joy. I mean, it's right. this, this morose. Um, I now like like the suffering becomes a value in itself as an end, which is just weird. Yeah, right. But what does it actually mean? I think this is where you're going. What does it actually mean to interpret suffering? To not seek it out, but to receive it when it comes and interpret it properly. Yeah, that that goes back to your comment earlier about the kind of relational structure of human existence, that we're not these individual autonomous things in pursuit of the perfect consumerist good whereby I can find my own self-fulfillment. And I get to define all of these categories. I get to decide what fulfillment looks like for me. I get to decide what the perfect product is. You're being manipulated by algorithm, ag- al- <laughs> algorithms that John Fraker is running at Amazon right now, okay? So the relational thing is so key. Um, it has to be a personal and relational reality. So circling back to that in a second, by way of a little tangent, I've been thinking a lot about social media, for example, in light of this. So... I have an experience that I find meaningful, and it might be objectively meaningful. Why do I want to share that with people? Because I'm an egoist? Well, partially, but also because I just want to share it with people. But then the sick thing is what happens this is this is the consumerism of beneath social media. If I don't get 200 likes for that in the next 12 hours, what I just experienced is valuable is no longer meaningful because other people didn't say it was it's val it's so the validation of meaning mm-hmm. happens in a relational st- I don't think social media would exist if we were just all autonomous monads walking around kind of in pursuit of meaning for ourselves. So the relational piece is really key to understanding how exactly we come to discover and to receive things and live out of meaning, because that's what the heart is made for, right? It's made for meaning. Uh, that's, what, that's why the logos, which is the word that means meaning, and Christ is the logos. This is just like, I'm talking about this all the time in class. It's just totally unbelievable. So to your point, do we despise the world, hate all the goods, don't shop at Amazon, don't shop at Peloton, whatever, maybe. Uh, some of those things we don't need. But we will learn to love the world if we lo- learn to understand the creator of the world, the, the good, capital G, that undergirds all of these small g goods, and that's God who became man and who died as an atoning sacrifice for us. And I think Newman's whole point of this project is, and in this sermon, is to say that if you understand that Jesus died for you, that he paid a price that you couldn't pay, then all of a sudden, you live totally differently. I have a deeper appreciation and respect and love for those sisters because they sacrificed their morning to go find my phone. Like, that's a small thing, but that means a lot. So think about your life. Think about the greatest thing that anyone has ever sacrificed for. Because as Christians, we really believe that uh, somebody who lays down their life for another, this is the greatest gift. What are the, who is the person that we love more than anybody, right? We are talking about our moms earlier, right? They gave everything for us. They've given their whole life for us. How could we ever stop living in relationship to that relationship, thinking about that, understanding that in light of the meaningfulness of things? And so if Christ becomes this kind of infinite and ultimate sacrifice and that he did it for me, and somehow through all of the noise of technology and consumerism, this breaks into my heart, and I realize and I know him and I have an encounter with 
this love that sacrificed itself for me, then all of a sudden this becomes the center of everything, the center of my world, and the world gets interpreted in light of that. And I don't have to despise or hate things um, because I see them as meaningful, and I, I see everything in relationship to this nuptial love and this union that came for somebody who laid down their life for me, and that someone happened to be God. Mm-hmm. So uh, he says this, and this kind of ties into it, unless you wanted to say no. something. Okay, I'm waiting for the uh, the final BAM statement from this Yeah, I don't know if I have a Newman, BAM, BAM statement, but I just recommend everybody read this. So here's another good good kind of way of thinking about it, and this ties into what you're saying. So he says, he takes up exactly what you say. He says, um, he says, it should not be supposed that the doctrine of Christ makes us sad, that therefore the gospel is a sad religion. Christianity looks like a sad religion. All we do is focus on death and suffering, and we don't have fun, right? Why can't we just have more fun? Why so many <laughs> rules? Like, this is what we, we deal with these questions all the time. They're good questions. And he says, let no one go away with the impression that the gospel makes us take a, a gloomy view of the world or of life. Here's what he says. This is, this is wisdom here. It hinders us indeed from taking a superficial view and finding a vain transitory joy in what we see. Okay, so, so the gospel says you can't live superficially um, and you can't pursue, as he said, vain transitory joy in what we see. But it forbids our immediate enjoyment only to grant enjoyment in truth and fullness afterwards. You're made for enjoyment but a deeper kind of enjoyment than the superficial, stimulated pleasure, whatever it might be. He says, Christianity doesn't forbid enjoyment. It only forbids to begin with enjoyment. (laughs) It only says, if you begin with pleasure, you will end with pain. It bids us begin with the cross of Christ, and in that cross we shall find first find sorrow, but in in the while peace and comfort will rise out of that sorrow. It's the difference between if you and I were to go down slug two beers right now or we go for a bike ride and suffer and sweat and get the adrenaline going and work hard. Why are beers so much more enjoyable afterwards, right? If you start with pleasure, you'll end with pain. But he's saying we don't begin with the pleasure, with the pursuit of comfort. But we, be, we begin with things as they are, as they present themselves. And they might be pleasurable, they might be painful. But he says we don't begin with enjoyment that's the key to understanding why christianity is not sorrowful yeah i thinking of um in first peter when he says be ready always to give a reason for the joy within you right this is a you know we're the resurrection people too so we think of the death but then the resurrection um and, and there's a time for feasting, there's a time for fasting. That's the, you know, that we just read in Ecclesiastes and Mass today, there's a time for this, that, the other thing. Um, time for joy, time for sorrow. Um, this is the wisdom kind of of Ecclesiastes, which is kind of the wisdom of the world. Um, but when we experience things in this interpretive key, this interpretive light, we find a joy, we find a pleasure, an enjoyment um, that is deeper. And it's present amongst what to the rest of the world might seem absurd suffering. And I think that's the question that Peter is responding to. People are looking at you and saying, aren't you the people who like have the image of, you know, um, you know, the the dead God? (laughs) Um, What's going on with that? Why are you happy? And they say, well, because that wasn't the end. The cross wasn't the end. The cross was the way through 
to salvation, the resurrection, to become new lives in Christ, that we die with him in baptism, and now we can endure whatever might come. Um, it's not just doing hard things to do hard things to get rid of the comfort crisis. That's kind of the, the secular idea of that mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. Do hard things. Uh, once a day, do a hard thing. Good. To what end? Are you still being the one who's giving the meaning to the hard thing? Or do I endure it with Christ, and now I found an abiding joy? Because I'm abiding with, you know, with the Father and the Son in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who gives us that abiding um, communion. Now I have a joy. And people say, but things are going tough. Why, how could you have joy? That's the question that's arising, and that's the Christian that gets to say, well, it's because. And I've interpreted it through the cross, through the resurrection. And, and, and what's, I was thinking about that Chesterton line, which I think we've probably quoted before, but uh, he says at the end of, um, he reflects on Christ's joy, his hidden joy, and he says something along the lines of, uh, joy for the pagan was the gigantic spectacle. Do you remember this? I don't remember but it's this the hidden, But it's the hidden <laughs> secret of the Christian. Yeah. So the world promotes everybody's just having so much fun. It's just so amazing. Everything's great. We're just having the best yeah. time ever. Uh, the hidden the the Christian lives with a deeper hidden joy, which means that there's no there's no circumstances that I need to bracket. Hmm. There's nothing that is quote unquote meaningless that I need to control, that I need to manipulate, that I need to use power to kind of get rid of. I can take reality as it comes. It doesn't mean I'm not passive. Uh, or it doesn't mean I am passive. But a kind of receptivity to reality informs the way that I think about things. And the cross, which is completed in the resurrection, which is the conquest of death and the victory of love, all of a sudden becomes the interpretive key for this. So the point of this podcast today is not to say don't enjoy the world. It's to say don't live superficially in the enjoyments of the world. Mm. Live deeply. And the way you live deeply is in silence and in prayer. Prayer is where you interpret life as it's happening. Prayer is the time when you can actually reflect on things in light of Christ, in light of the gospel, as, as you're receiving from Christ the meaningfulness of things. There's nothing more amazing than when you bring the content of your heart into bear, into light with the gospel of the day, and all of a sudden it's like, boom, that's it. That's what I needed to hear. This is, this is how God speaks, and this is how he works. So he's very much so alive, and Newman <laughs> has put his finger on it. This is how we measure reality. This is how we measure meaningfulness in it. I love that you just mentioned the gospel being the word, because the word at Mass, you know, what, three hours ago now, gospel's read, and I'd read it this morning and didn't really receive any word of like, hey, that's it. At Mass today, though, as uh, Deacon was reading the gospel, he reads at the first line of the gospel, once when Jesus was praying in solitude and the disciples were with him. And that just struck me. That's so strange. He's praying in solitude but the disciples are with him. What's that mean? How do you? And I was praying with that during Mass, and it's that prayer in solitude, uh, what kind of call maybe in, in the spiritual tradition kind of like an inner monastery of your heart. You can be in solitude with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, praying in solitude with the apostles, with your family, with your classmates, with your work you know, coworkers, with wherever you're at. You can be in solitude, and that's, I think, what you're talking about, this prayer this prayer is ongoing. This isn't just, it's, you know, we need to set time for prayer, but that continues on, right? And so I'm praying in solitude with the Father, and now I'm able to interpret with and ask the question, who, who do people say that I am? 
oh, you're this, you're that, the other, and then who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, right? So this is, again, a dialogue, a relation, but a solitude with was kind of the image um, that I think is a good image for our prayer and our interpretation of the world. Yeah, and I, I think that, yeah, that being with, you know, that's the, the Greek of they were with him, but it's like soon emi, um, so it's like they were just being with him. They weren't doing anything in particular. They might not have been quote-unquote praying, and, and I think that um, kind of wrapping this up here, a lot of people are intimidated to pray. They might listen to this podcast and say, I do want to live more deeply. I don't know what to do. And it's like, just be with Christ in his solitude. Just go be with him as he prays to the Father. Mm-hmm. Go, to the, go to the Blessed Sacrament Chapel, the uh, Adoration Chapel, and just be with him as he's praying. Now, don't just sit there. You know, Read what he's doing. Study his life. Mm-hmm. Reflect on who he is. And then slowly your heart will start to speak to him. It'll start to bring life into dialogue with him. But we have to begin with Christ. Mm-hmm. And this is what Newman says. This will be my final word. And then I'll pass it off to you for final comments or shout-outs. And so, too, as regards this world, with all its enjoyments, yet disappointments, let us not trust it. Let us not give our hearts to it. Let us not begin with it. Let us begin with faith. Let us begin with Christ. Let us begin with his cross and the humiliations which lead to it. Amen. Amen. Yeah, it makes you think. I, I might have shared this on a, a previous podcast, but um, I experienced an adoration a year or two ago. I walked in, and it just struck me the realization that Christ there in the tabernacle or Christ in the monstrance during adoration, um, I'd always been told, like, Christ is waiting for you. Christ is waiting for you to come pray. And that's very true. Um, but I was just kind of imagined it like Christ was there for me to come to when I needed, almost like uh, the, the consumer mentality, right? So Christ is there waiting for me, and then I come and I'll get something you know, from him. And there's a truth there. Christ is waiting for you, and he's inviting you at all times. But what I realized that morning sitting in front of the monstrance was, what is Christ doing? when he's waiting for me. He's praying to the Father. When I go to my holy hour, I'm participating in Christ's prayer. Christ, he's there to, you know, encounter me and me to encounter him. But what is the main action of the Son? To pray to the Father, to intercede, to be in dialogue with the Father, uh, to see what he's doing and to do it, right? And so that just kind of changed my mentality around prayer. When I go to Christ, Christ is already praying to the Father, and I'm participating in that. And so I loved what you said there uh, and what Newman says of looking to Christ to interpret what, to read what Christ is doing, to see what Christ is doing, uh, and then to enter into that. So that's my word. Love it. I hope this has been helpful. Uh, Take Newman, uh, take this sermon, The Cross of Christ, The Measure of the World is the name of the sermon. Um, Highly recommended and uh, hopefully it's enjoyable. So shout-outs here before we close. Jenny Punswick from Kansas City is a podcast listener and a friend of John Leindecker. We usually don't do shout-outs for friends of friends, but Leindecker, is, <laughs> he gets what he wants. Let's just leave it at that. He goes, he'll keep complaining about it. So, Jenny, thanks for listening to the podcast. And then a uh, second shout-out to Ryan Quintana, a.k.a. Q, uh, who was on the uh, first five days of the Carro Trail, and I think we had a bet or something and a deal that I owed him a shout-out. So I uh, just get into that. So, uh, Q, thanks for joining us. It was great to have you on the trail. Yeah, I actually prepared some shout-outs today uh, instead of being caught with nothing. So uh, first, Carl and KJ at the parish, um, we did 
server training, altar server training this past Sunday, and they're kind of the high school MCs. And these kids, they're just, they're on top of it. They're rocking it. They probably definitely know more about serving than me. Uh, it was Carl Shree. Yeah. Nice. It was pretty cool to see them uh, just kind of like teaching these kids and the, the younger kids kind of looking up to them. Um, so shout out to them. Keep, keep rocking it. And then uh, old listeners who are no longer listeners because they've had a baby and for the last year and a half they've been raising this son so they don't have the time anymore. That's what they said. Uh, but Sarah and Zach are friends of Father Trevor's from right, Wyoming Catholic. Yeah. And uh, so shout them out. Um, I was laughing. I told, I told Father Trevor afterwards, I was like, Sarah, she's got like really elven features, really, really beautiful. And Zach just totally like one of the writers of Rohan from the Riddim. Oh, yeah, totally. And, and then I just joked. I said, and you can tell him that uh, coming from a dwarf like me, that's high praise. Yes, there you go. From Gimli. <laughs> so hopefully you listen to one. I might have to let Trevor know. They might listen to out. the last yeah. three minutes while baby's <laughs> sleeping. So, well, I uh, this will come out last uh, Thursday in September. And then um, we'll probably have one or two more. But we hope to do a little recording from the trail again. Yep. All four of us will be on there and uh, walking in upstate New York. Walking in upstate New York. So, but for today, that's uh, we're going to call it. Thanks for listening. As always, Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. We will see you next week.